0: This podcast may contain graphic and/or explicit content that may not be suitable for some listeners, especially kids like me. Listener discretion is advised.
1: You're listening to the Real Life Podcast, brought to you by the Thin Blue Line for Women. In this podcast, we open up and talk about real life issues as they relate to first responders. It's raw, it's real, and it's about time. I'm Tamara, your host. Thanks for joining me. I have so many people I want to thank, just some shout-outs that I have here, and they're all from Twitter. I have Back the Blue Dawn, Veronica Kaler, who I have a very special kinship with, Blue Line NorCal, Cindy Ward, Johnny Socks, Alma with the yellow flower in her hair, Crystal Bowman, Maria Maribo from Germany, who was the first one to read my book, by the way. She got it done in, gosh, a few hours. Bonnie Crissanda. And if I'm saying your names wrong, I apologize, but I want to make sure that I thank all of you for being such great supporters on Twitter. I've got Brad Pigeon, Pat Yawn, Kelly at igrdn for me I wanna make sure I got the right Kelly in there. I've got H. Clary at Sunshine Mustang, Ann Wedig, Lisa Pack, Nick and Mike with Roll Call Room. I cannot forget about them, they're awesome. Broken Medic and Terry Armenta. These people here are just, you're all so supportive. You always retweet and like the posts and comment on them. And you're what's keeping Thin Blue Line for Women going. And now uh, the trajectory of my book, I mean, going forward, you're keeping that movement going. And now with my podcast that just started last week, you're keeping that going. So I just really appreciate all of you. I really, really do. I'm not going to cry because I am such a crier, but I, I really do sit and, and think how grateful I am to be in this situation, to be retired, but still sit at my computer and talk to all of you and reach out and just be friends with all of you. I know it's just over a computer and I understand that we haven't met, but we do form like a kinship, you know? Um, law enforcement officers, fire EMT, and other professions, all all of you, I mean, you're just good people. And you bring such great things to the Twitter world, you know, and I I just I'm just thankful for all of you. I really am. Um, I probably went overboard on this, but it's just how I feel. And I just want to say thank you. Don't forget, you can listen to The Real Life Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Casts, and on YouTube. Thank you for joining us. There is so much more to a police officer's badge to any badge that all first responders wear, but that's what the world sees, a badge. What's behind and beyond that badge is what people need to know, the person. In Behind and Beyond the Badge, award-winning author Donna Brown takes you to those places that few see. First responders have opened their hearts and shared what it's truly like to do their jobs, their favorite parts of the job, and their toughest career-defining moments, and the impact it has on their families. They are human, just like you, and each faces all that life has to offer, good and bad. Included in these stories are law enforcement officers, firefighters, EMS personnel, 911 dispatchers, crime scene forensic technicians, and victim advocates. All what Donna Brown calls her village of first responders. This book is perfect for those who are thinking about becoming a first responder those who have family or friends who are first responders, those who want to know more, and for those who are suspect of the law enforcement profession, you have got to get Donna Brown's book today, Behind and Beyond the Badge. Hey everyone, welcome to Real Life. I have a very special lady as my guest today, author and retired law enforcement sergeant, Donna Brown. Hi Donna. Good morning. Good morning. Tell me a little bit about yourself so the followers know who you are.
0: Sure. I moved to Tallahassee, Florida to attend Florida State University and I graduated from there in 1979 with my degree in criminology, go Knowles. And I applied for a police officer position at the Tallahassee Police Department and was hired a little bit later after I graduated. I was one of only five women at the agency at the time. There were actually three when I got hired, and in my class there was one other woman. So we made a total of five.
1: And you were hired in 1979, right? Yes, I'm dating myself. Yes. I was I was ten years old. <laughs> Thank you very much. I appreciate Sorry that. About that. <laughs> How many different jobs did you have during your law enforcement career? Tell me everything that you did.
0: I was fortunate. I had a, a, quite a few. Of course, when I started, I was a road patrol officer, like the majority of people when they first get hired. I became a field training officer. And eventually I was transferred to our department's training unit where we provided training for the entire department. I was promoted to sergeant when I was in the training unit and I was moved back to the patrol division. I had a patrol squad for a while. Then I had a field training officer squad, which was awesome. That was one of my favorite assignments to train new officers. I was then moved I didn't ask for it. I was moved into the criminal investigation division and there I supervised a couple different units. I started with financial crimes, sex crimes unit, and then I was moved into homicide where I spent 10 years. And during that 10 years in homicide, I also supervised our joint robbery task force with our local sheriff's department for about two years. And also we had a Fully staffed, full-time victim advocate unit. So I also supervised them as well that, during that 10 years. So you had a full career.
1: How, how many years did you work overall? 26 years, three months, and five days. But who counted? <laughs> and you've got it down to the wire. <laughs> I do. Now, one of my questions was going to be, what made you want to work in homicide? But you just said that you didn't apply for it. You were given that job, correct? Well, I wasn't
0: even given. I was told. Um, okay. You know, the okay. the powers to be. And that was, like I said, they moved me into criminal investigations and each transfer was the powers to be was not at my request by any means. Um, but once I got into homicide, I learned so much. I worked with some amazing people and absolutely loved my time in there.
1: Well, let's go back to being a woman in law enforcement. You there were only five of you at that time. Correct. Was yes. it? difficult being a woman in law enforcement back then? And tell me,
0: tell me why, if you're going to say yes. I don't know if difficult is the correct word. There were certainly challenges. One, our department, women were mandated pretty much for them to hire women. It was mandated. A a woman prior to me had sued the department in the city because they did not hire uh, women as police officers. And so that opened it up. So there were a couple of women before me. So we weren't really welcomed by obviously the predominantly male profession and that department. So that was a challenge in itself. I think, I think every new officer has to prove themselves, but as a female, and especially at that time, we definitely had to prove ourselves. The community itself was not all that welcoming. And With women either. We were a foreign, just a foreign concept for the community as well. So there were kind of a dual challenge there.
1: Did you ever get, um, like dirty looks from the guys you worked with or, or did they say anything that made you feel just, just like you weren't welcome there or was it just an overall feeling in the department?
0: It was, it was kind of 50, 50. There were a lot of guys who were very open to it. There was a segment that certainly wasn't and sadly the first training officer I was given to was one of those that wasn't very welcoming and neither was my shift lieutenant and they pretty much tried to do everything they could to make me quit and I was I had two great guys on my squad that kind of saw what was going on and they went to our sergeant and told him, you know hey this isn't right and asked if they would take me away from the training officer and give him to one of them, which they did. And he ended up being an amazing mentor for the, my entire career, and to this day we're we're still friends. Is it just an amazing guy?
1: Now that just proves how one person can make a difference, right? Absolutely. Yes. Right. Now you said you've been on twenty six years. Do you think or do you feel? That it's gotten better as the years go by to be a woman in law enforcement, or do you still think there are the same challenges today?
0: I don't think the challenges that I faced are still there. No, um, are there still challenges? Yes, but I think they're different. I mean, my old department—we've we've had women all the way up through deputy chief. Are in our community actually uh, a woman was just named the new chief of police at Florida state university police department, which is a pretty decent sized agency. Our city's had a female fire chief. So I, I think a lot of that's changed. And I think now, which my old department's about 450 sworn. It's a, it's a pretty good sized department. And I think the last number I heard, it was 20 plus percent uh, are women there. So it's definitely changed for the positive. Although one woman told me the other day, there's still problems with uniforms. Um, <clears throat> they <laughs> they don't they don't make, they don't make like let's like, you know what uh, fatigue pants are right i don't know yeah you, you probably yes. wore those what okay yes. um they said they still don't really make them where they fit women well and i'm thinking okay that's kind of crazy after all these years but um <laughs> Right.
1: Yeah. And even the, the bulletproof vests, those are really hard to wear. You uh, well, don't get they, the right,
0: kind. right. Well, when I first started, they did not make women's uniforms. So I got men's pants and I had to have them altered and they were altered so much that the rear pockets almost touched. Um, <laughs> the, the ballistic vests were horrible. Um, they were totally flat. And then as they came up with ways to. Maybe make that better. They were hard plastic discs that they put on. I mean, it was just so. That's greatly improved. Great.
1: Oh improved. yes. Yeah. Oh yes. Now, when you were in homicide, is there a worst, like one of the worst cases that you've ever worked? Can you tell me about one of those, or or do you maybe maybe you don't have one? And how many did you work, by the way? Did you keep a record of
0: that? Um. I actually, because of court purposes, I had to know the number. In my 10 years in homicide, I supervised 561 death investigations. Now, not, and so you you average that out. That's a little more than a week. Now, not all of those were homicides. Um, But that's a lot of, that's a lot of death in 10 years. Right. I don't think I really have a, a worst case I've seen pretty much as you probably have, just about any way a person can die, uh, whether at their own hand or someone else's. I I did have one that it it went unsolved for three years. And I think that's probably the one that kind of bothered me the most. And I never really got close to families. Uh, I certainly knew them and we stayed in contact. But this one particular family, their daughter was murdered in her home and we just could not. Solve it. And it, like I said, it sat unsolved for three years. And due to some amazing forensic work, um, that was way before all the technology they have now. We were able three years later to identify the suspect and bring him uh, back here. He was out of the state of Florida and we brought him back. And I hate the word closure because I don't know if a family can ever get closure, but it gave them answers. And just that family just really touched me beyond my words. And when I retired, he, the father of our victim actually traveled to Tallahassee and came to my retirement ceremony. And that was just, I I can't even put that into words. That just, it was kind of like, this is what my job was all about. I I made a difference. Right that that what an honor for him to show up to that right I was truly honored absolutely
1: yes wow so is there a case no okay so that was emotionally hard for you that right one. is there a a case that you remember being just traumatic like looking at it or smelling it like do you do you have a worst case like
0: that? I think everybody has their own little triggers. Mine was never really sight. Mine was never really smell, although you know that there's some horrendous smells. And once you've smelled that, you can be driving down the road and go, "Mm, something's dead over there, (laughs) whether it's an animal or whatever. Um, Mine was actually sound. And that's weird. Like, of course, when you get to a homicide scene, pretty much there's no sound, but like the sound of the saw in an autopsy, um, the sound of someone who's truly in pain uh, just bother me. And it it, it, it took me a long time actually after I retired. Every time I heard a circular saw, whether somebody's in the neighborhood is, you know, building something or whatever, it would just trigger that. Uh, Oh, I get that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's Weird. crazy. I'm much better with that now. It doesn't bother me as much.
1: <laughs> right. No, I get it. So I was on a homicide scene once and the maggots
0: were just
1: going to town on this person and you could hear them. Oh! And I'll never forget that sound. It's just the creepiest, grossest, just, ugh. it's. I can't explain it, but you can hear them crawling. I don't know if they're, if they make a sound, I've never Googled it. If, if they're actually, you know chirping or do you know what I mean? Right. But right. I you don't know can that here. You can hear them crawling and that grossed me out. I couldn't, I, couldn't. I,
0: I will, I will have to say probably if you want to talk about that, something bother me that I saw, I think, and especially here in Florida in the dead of summer, it doesn't take long for bodies to start decomposing and yeah, that that's probably when you when you add in flies or maggots and then the right. decomposer. That's that's probably yeah. That's
1: or probably. when they pull when they pull a body out of the river and their skin just like fall, literally falls off. It's it's weird, right? It's yes. Uh,
0: well, and actually, it, I had a, a a young officer that we found a uh, a woman clad in only her underwear uh, deceased in a vacant field. And it was the dead of summer. So we had done everything we'd done. Uh, the Emmy had come to pick up the body and we had this young gun ho officer there. And he's like, I'm going to go over there and help them pick up the body. And I stood there and I'm like, I don't think you want to do that. No, no, I'm going to go over there and help. And I'm like, I really don't <sighs> think you want to do that. Well, he did. And oh. I hate, and not to be graphic, but this is what law enforcement officers see and deal with. They went to pick him up or the the woman up. And she, Popped open right and he immediately turned and went into a different direction and relieved himself of his latest meal. And, yes, you know, and I knew Once they pop that is
1: the worst smell ever. Yeah. It's just waiting to come out, yeah, right when they move the body. Oh, yep, yep. Okay, let's get over the grossness. All right, is there a is there, no, no, no? It's hey, this is called real life, right? It's true, that's true. <laughs> Do you have? your funniest case story that you can tell is there one that you can tell us
0: I guess part of it was kind of an inside joke but yes anyone who's ever worked the road and you've been assigned to a specific area of town for any length of time you have your regulars and you kind of get to know them and I did it was a a couple who constantly got into fights and if you're thinking now back into the eighties, domestic violence was looked at very differently than it is today. We didn't always take somebody to jail. So this day we get a call and I get there and I, the doors kind of cracked open and I open it up and I won't say her name, but she greets me there at the door and I'm like, what's going on today? And she named her husband and she said, he just wouldn't behave and went off on her (laughs) little tyrant. And when I'm looking there's, I mean, there's blood spatter on the wall behind the couch, which that she'd obviously taken this to a different level. We've never had that. And so the more we got into it, she actually had picked up a cast iron skillet and hit him in the head with it. And she's like, that's, that's my weapon of necessity. And that kind of became an inside joke for my squad is, you know, whatever, it's a weapon of necessity, but she actually went to jail that day though. She'd kind of, and I guess it's kind of you had to be there it was really funny
1: yeah I have a I have a, a, a I remember a case like that with it, that I went on one time and I walked in the house and same thing I thought it was blood spatter on the wall it was all red but then there was yellow mixed in and I thought wait a second what's that and I looked down at the table and there's a ketchup and mustard bottle sitting there <laughs> just with it all over I'm like what are you guys five I mean they literally were having a ketchup and mustard fight come That's, on that is funny <laughs> No one went to jail that day, but I just walked away from there going, wow, you just see everything in this job.
0: And I tell people that all the time is I can't think of another profession where you get paid for live entertainment. <laughs> and I don't mean that as disrespectful to the people right. that we dealt with. Or no, anything. I but I mean, right. that's real life. I mean, some things are just comical. And that does you and I've talked about this before. Uh, I think sometimes the public sees law enforcement officers laughing at crime scenes and that. And, and honestly, we always try to be very careful about that. And it's really not disrespect. I think when you're on pretty gruesome scenes, sometimes you have to find some levity in the situation. And again, it's truly not meant as disrespect, but I I can see that from an outsider looking in that that's what they think, but that's really not the case.
1: Right. Right. and, and, You're right. When, when the public is looking at us and which they do every single day right now, right. Everything's on video and they look at us under a microscope every single day. You know, we do have to be careful out in the field because when you're standing over a dead body and the public sees you laughing, like, I I mean, I did that a million times. I was, I'll tell you right now, I was guilty of that all the time, but it wasn't the dead body I was laughing at. We were trying to talk about something else. Right. We were trying to tell a joke or say what we did last week because working that dead body scene was hard to do. It's difficult. It's emotional. It's sad. We didn't want to, you know, keep our our emotions with that dead body. So we're trying to talk about something else, and you're laughing. But you've got to be cognizant of that, you know, and remember the public's watching you. Yeah, that's – So, uh, we're going to take a quick break and when we come back, we're going to go into your book because your book behind and beyond the badge volumes one and volume two, those are stories that need to be told and you've told them. Well, a lot of people in your book, they're telling their stories and you've written them and we want to talk about that. Your books are very important. And I think that, um, we need to dive into more of like why you wrote them and, you know, what they're all really about. So let's take a quick break and, we'll be, a break and we'll be right back. Okay. Okay. Great. Are you looking for thin blue line gear? It's available on our website at thin blue That's thin blue line. The number four women.com show your support for law enforcement and get your thin blue line gear today. Just click on shop at thinbluelineforwomen.com. Have you ever wondered what being a part of CSI is really like? If so, here's your chance to experience it. In my book, titled Through My Eyes CSI Memoirs That Haunt the Soul, through My Eyes contains 11 personal accounts of the most grueling and heartbreaking crime scenes I worked during my 15 years in the Crime Scene Investigations Unit. While reading my book, you'll walk inside the crime scene tape with me. You'll catch a glimpse of what I saw, touched, smelled, and even tasted during an average work day. I'll take you on a difficult journey of memories, uncovering layers of emotional trauma left behind. Dare to join me through my eyes is available now on Amazon. Hmm. Welcome back everyone to real life. We're still talking with Donna Brown, who is an author and a retired law enforcement sergeant. Welcome back, Donna. Thank you. Appreciate it. So now we're going to dive into your book, Volume 1, Volume 2 of Behind and Beyond the Badge. Where did the idea to write this book come from in the first place?
0: This all started in 2016. And mind you, I had been retired 10 years at that point. But I got tired of all the predominantly negative attention I saw in the media for police officers, and the law enforcement profession as a whole. There was very little positive that was ever shown. And it just kind of made me angry. So I, I started thinking about what could I do to maybe show the other side of, of law enforcement so I started talking to people and what really came to light was most people see a badge and that's it. They don't really recognize that there's a person behind it. They just see, I guess, kind of this machine. And it was pretty much for any first responder, firefighters, dispatchers, you know, whatever. So I guess that's kind of where the title was born. Was behind, They need to see behind and beyond the badge and that's the person. So I started pitching my idea. What I wanted to do was get not just law enforcement officers, because I could never have done my job without everybody else, including firefighters, dispatchers, forensics, people like you, um, EMS workers. I couldn't have done my job without all of those people. So while the books are primarily law enforcement related, there's somebody from all of those fields in both books. and. I started pitching the idea to people and surprisingly I got very few people who said no. Most said I I'd, I'd love to help out.
1: That's wonderful. Now, what's the difference between volume 1 and volume 2 or is there a difference?
0: There there is a little bit of a difference. Volume 1, everybody in the book is retired, whether they're fire or police or EMS. Everybody's retired. And that was kind of for two reasons. One, I was hearing at the same time, people who were getting ready to retire or retires, I I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what to do. And my gosh, and it's hard for people, but there is life after law enforcement. There's life after a career as a first responder. Right. And some of the people in the books, like uh, one was one of my captains in investigations. He was an absolute sports nut and he ended up landing a job as a major league baseball scout. Wow. Um, that's nice. Right. So yeah, and while that's kind of at the top end, but there's so many of them who have found different passions and are thriving at that. There's others right. who they're just enjoying retirement. They're traveling, they're you know, oh, right. doing whatever. Um, so uh, that's kind of more of a focus Book two actually is much deeper, and and with everybody in both books, and and that's 40, 40 some odd people. What I initially did was send them out like a questionnaire with some initial questions to kind of get things going. And this was I wanted to tell their stories. These books are not about me. Yes, my right, story, right. my story's in them because right. my publisher said it has to be. <laughs> but I'm I'm. It's not about me. It's about them. And the responses I got back were absolutely amazing. These people truly opened their hearts to let the non-first responder world in. What it's really like to do the job, the best parts, the hardest parts, the effects it can have on them and on their families, which families are so often ignored for any of our first responders. You bet they are. and. I was truly, truly amazed at what I got back. Some of it's tear jerking. Some of it's just really raw and honest. And I'm just honored that each of them trusted me to tell their stories. But I think these books have kind of taken on a life of their own. I've had some great speaking engagements, which is, is one of the amazing opportunities the books have afforded me. I've taught or spoken at uh, college campuses with criminal justice students. And these kids are like, wow, this is a great insight. I'm thinking about either going into forensics or going, you know, being a police officer, uh, community groups, women's groups. I've talked to no venue has been too small or too big for me. Wherever, Wherever I can talk about this, I'm very passionate, as you can tell. And. One thing that's come out too is people can wrap their heads around PTSD when it comes to the military and, uh-huh. and you, you've been in the military, but it was apparent and is apparent to me when I talk to these groups is people really don't grasp that when it comes to first responders. And I think we as a profession are partially to blame with that because we often say, I don't talk about it or I can't talk about it. People can't understand. They wouldn't understand well, part of that's true, but until we do try to talk to people or educate people what it's really like to do these jobs, I don't think they're going to grasp the impact of PTSD with all first responders. And as you know, the, the suicide rate for the last three years for law enforcement has just skyrocketed. Absolutely. Quite and- yeah the last three years in a row, more officers have died by suicide that have been killed in the line of duty. Yeah. And it's got to be addressed. And I think it's finally being addressed. More people, more groups are out there talking about it, offering services to the first right. responders. And, and it's a great start. And I'm hoping my books can help in just a, a small way. And I, I had a, at one of my book signings, a young man walk up to me and he had a copy of my first book. And he said he had read it. He'd asked if I could sign it, which I was honored to do. But he told me he wanted to be a law enforcement officer. He'd written with officers. He was a police explorer. He talked to officers. He'd read other books. But he said until he read my book, this was the first one that really gave him true insight. And I said right there, to, honestly, if I never sell another book, <laughs> I, I will consider it a, a a, a success and in kind of the same ways with the the people that involved in the books almost all of them told me writing down their thoughts was very therapeutic for them oh, and, yes. and, and healing and again I'm like, wow you know it was just a, a, a huge wow moment for me for sure
1: yes when I was writing my book through my eyes it was the same thing I read somewhere in a psychology magazine that writing down your thoughts. Uses a different part of your brain. Mm -hmm. And that's what I needed to do because I was struggling with, you know, memories and thoughts just popping in my head all the time with all my scenes. And so I'm like, okay, I'll try it. I'll write down my worst crime scenes. And that's how the book was formed. But you're right. What you did for these people in your book was you gave them a therapeutic outlet. You
0: know, I'm
1: sure it helped every single person in your book.
0: Right. And I think so. And, and actually, you know, the books have been good for family members who have someone who works as a police officer, whatever, while their loved one may not talk about it, they read these stories and they kind of get a better sense of, wow, this is what my wife or my husband or my right, daughter right. or my sister does. Um, like I said, people who are thinking about going into the field or just the general public. This this is real life, as, as you say, <laughs> exactly. you know, this is what it's well, really like
1: because they watch the shows on TV, like CSI and CIS, and it's, it's cool and it's fun. And that's why people get into it because it's exciting and energetic and, but it's really not when you're in it. It's completely different. People don't talk about that other side of it. They don't talk about that you come home one night or one morning, completely just exhausted and, or, or wet or bloody, or just totally torn apart because of that that you were working on nobody talks about the way you feel after they just show the the limelight and they show this great glamorization of what you know csi does or what a cop does or even what firefighters do right it's all glamorized
0: now, how many jobs do you know that you have you come home for uh, end of the day and you have to take your clothes off and leave them in the garage exactly uh, like i never put my boots in
1: in the house your clothing it's your clothing
0: smelled so bad smelled, or, yeah right? yeah
1: Right, totally different. Now I have volume two of your book. I remember ordering volume two and reading volume two, and I was actually scared to read it. I I remember telling you this because I was in the middle of writing my book. And I was already sad and upset all the time writing my book. So I was kind of scared to read your book, I'll be honest. But I'm here to tell everyone listening, it's not it's it's not like my book. It's it's refreshing reading your stories they were refreshing. It was nice to actually see and hear about what people really are like behind the badge. They didn't it didn't dive into, you know, the deep emotional sadness that I went through of all, you know, in all my scenes. It was different. It was it was just refreshing to know that that every every person that you wrote about in your book has a story to tell, but it was refreshing. That's the only word I can think of using. I wish I could come up with a different
0: word. But it well, they, it is and I and I appreciate that and I've actually used that word with, with in talking with some other people about the books but you know it was to show the human side so yeah they talk about their families some are cancer survivors you know we're human you know these right. things these things pop up they deal with kid issues they deal with you know all those things and they talk
1: about real- life stuff correct <laughs> but, I mean they yeah. do
0: talk about the job and that, and, uh-huh. and there's there's one and I I wanted to mention is there's a woman in volume one and a woman in volume two, the woman in volume one, her husband was killed in the line of duty in Oakland, California. And the woman in volume two, her son was killed in the line of duty. And I thought it was really important to show that aspect as well. The community will see an officer's killed in the line of duty They may see something on the news. They may see something about the funeral and then poof, it's gone and life goes on and life does go on. But to listen to what both of these women had to say about living that and and their perspective um, really was touching for me. And uh, again, I was honored that they let me tell their stories. Right, right. Now, is there a
1: third book in the making? Can you tell us a little bit about probably?
0: probably <laughs> but right now, I'm working on a different book. It's not law enforcement related, but it's about a topic that I'm equally passionate about, but but totally unrelated. So probably when I finish that, I will more than likely do a volume three.
1: Okay. So what will three pertain to? Will it still be the same as
0: I think it's going to be, the, I, th- I think it's going to be the same, the same format, more stories, but I've already started lining some people up and which in my first book, predominantly the people were people I worked with and knew and it was local in my community. Okay. Volume two branched out a good bit. Uh, okay. I had federal officers in there, a DEA agent, um, people who worked at different agencies. And I really would like to expand that greater in volume
1: three. Oh, that would be wonderful. Now, one thing I will mention that I liked about the book is you have pictures of them at the beginning of the chapter. And I like that. You there? I'm here. Yes. Sorry, we're having some technical difficulties here. (laughs) That's okay. The of 2020 (laughs) psychology, right? (laughs) But I was saying, I really liked the part in your book that you have pictures of the people at the beginning of the chapter. Yes. That humanizes it for me. You know, you read the chapter and you know who you're reading about. I really liked that.
0: Well, and that's some of them wanted their picture in their uniform. Some wanted nothing to do with that. Like If you'll notice in both books, a lot of them have pictures with their wives or their husbands. A couple have, it's their entire family photo and I I let them choose. And, and, And again, you're right. It does go to that theme. They're people.
1: Yes, exactly. Now, do you have any words of advice or wisdom to share with officers or maybe EMTs or firefighters, first responders, just words of advice about on the job?
0: Well, for officers specifically, and I don't want to sound preachy but I can only offer two words of advice and or two things of advice. And one is always be truthful and always do the right thing. And I know sometimes doing the right thing is not always easy to do, but all you have in this job is your integrity. And once you lose that, you really don't have much left. And, That's really all I can say for law enforcement, EMS, my dispatchers, my voices in the dark, for you crime scene folks, everybody, don't lose who you are. And I did at one point, uh, and I told you this when we talked before, is I would often, when I was in homicide, do a lot of our department's press releases on camera with the local news because our public information officer, he's like, look, you know more about the case than I do. And you, <laughs> right, know, right. And, you, and you know what you want said and what you don't want said. He says, so you just do them. So I started doing a lot of them. And then I found myself, I'd be in the grocery store shopping and people coming up to me. Oh, I saw you or you're Sergeant so-and-so. And that's who I became was Sergeant Donna Brown of Homicide. And, you know, it took, like, that's not who I am. That's what I did for a living. Mm-hmm. I will always be a police officer. I will always have that in the back of my mind. I will always be bleed blue for sure, Mm -hmm. but that's not who I am. And I I say that to everybody, it's hard in any first responder job or, or, and I know forensics and our dispatchers aren't often considered that, but to me, you are, you're my village of first responders, all (laughs) of you, and just don't lose who you are.
1: Yeah. A lot of people have trouble with that. So that's a good, that's a good piece of advice for new officers coming on. Try not to lose yourself. Don't make your whole identity about what you do for a living, even though you're going to be there a lot, right? A lot of people work 12 hour shifts or 10 hour shifts, right? Try to still be Tom or Mary. I mean, that's who you are. You're, you're a mom, you're a best friend. you like to play golf. You, whatever. Just be that person, and then when you're at work, do the best job that you can, but make sure you remember who you really are. Don't make police your identity right? because you'll lose who you are completely.
0: And, and I think that also helps, and I'm seeing more of this, and I'm so happy to see it. I think when you do that, you that helps you humanize what you do So when you have a horrific call that you go to or seen, you can go into, I can be Donna Brown and I'm going to go talk to, I I need, I need to get this off my chest. I, you know, you're not that walled off, person. you're a robot. And and I encourage you in any of those jobs, please, you know, debrief with somebody, talk about these things. Uh, Your mental health is a priority. Oh, Yes. Now,
1: I want to talk about um, writing books. You wrote a book. You've written a couple of books. I wrote a book. What are some words of advice or wisdom you can share with others who are actually thinking about writing a book like ours or even just writing another book? Like How, how easy was it or how difficult was it to start the writing process? You
0: actually just hit on, to me, the key just write. And it may start out for some people It may start out as a journal. It may just start out as just jotting thoughts down, just write. And once you do that, I think your idea will be born or it will turn into whatever. The the editing and the publishing and all of that comes later. You, You just start writing. And there's plenty of people that you can reach out to um, you and I are two of them. Um, right. if, if somebody wanted to do that, I'd be more than happy yeah. to answer questions, but just write. Yeah,
1: just write their story. A lot. Of, I've had some people um, send me private messages on Twitter or Facebook, and they said, you know, I really want to write my story too. How, mm-hmm. how do I start? You know, and, and, and they, they, they come up against this wall because they think they have to have a publisher. They think they have to have this certain program. They think they have to know everything. Just write just sit down and start writing your story and it will come i promise you yes <laughs> it just could just flows
0: yep good now, advice
1: yes so your books volume 1 and volume 2 behind and beyond the badge where can our listeners buy this book buy both of them
0: obviously amazon you can buy them and the books are in three formats which is the ebook paperback and hardcover both of them are but amazon Uh, Barnes and Nobles at pretty much anywhere a book is sold. And if they don't have it on the shelves, they can order it for you. Amazon obviously is, is, is the primary carrier of that. But I mean, Apple, if you, if you do eBooks a lot, it's Apple on Kindle, uh, or you can just go to my website, which we do have one is behind and beyond the badge.com. There's links there that'll take you to Amazon or Apple or whatever. Okay. and, And you can do it there. Uh we do have social media. Um we have Facebook, Twitter, uh Instagram. We're on LinkedIn or I'm on LinkedIn actually. So you can reach out to me in any of those and I'll help you. I'll help you get the book.
1: Sounds wonderful. Donna, thank you so much for being my guest today. Thank you for your service. Thank, thank you you too. Years. That's amazing. Thank you for telling your story and talking about homicide. Thank you for writing your books. I look forward to reading your volume three, whenever you come out with it. And I just appreciate your time. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for having me. I enjoyed talking with you.
1: You're welcome. I was recently a guest on a podcast called the roll call room. The roll call room is a comedic podcast hosted by law enforcement officers, Nick and Mike. I want to give them the shout out they deserve because they're doing something with their podcast that's super important. They discuss important issues with the law enforcement community, and their main mission is to bring awareness to the growing epidemic of law enforcement suicides, post-traumatic stress disorder, and mental health issues. So if you haven't listened to them yet, they are the Roll Call Room Podcast, and listener discretion is advised. Next week, I'll be interviewing a nurse, a.k.a. Supermom. You're not going to want to miss this one. Next Monday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, 6 p.m. Pacific Time. See you there. The Real Life Podcast was recorded and is being made available by Anchor.fm and its affiliates, solely for the informational and entertainment purposes. The information statements, comments, views, and opinions provided and or expressed on the real life podcast are entirely those of the host guests and callers and are responsible for all show content and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the agencies and communities that the guests may serve. Some parts of the real life podcast may contain adult content intended for people who are 18 years of age or older. Please listen responsibly.